Welcome back to another episode of HR Nightmares. I am not Lisa Leith, but I am Gabby Plumet. I am guest hosting today. I come all the way from Jacksonville, Florida, back in the hometown, the Roots in Wilmington. So happy to be here. I'm with Beth Looney and Haley Saradet. Hello. Our guest today. We are super excited to have her, um, and I'm super excited for this episode because we have not even touched on the gaming world, and that is something so big right now um, and is continuing to grow and grow. So um, I'm super excited to really pick your brain, Haley, and learn all that there is to know. Um, So I guess let's go ahead and kick off this episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do at, yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank you, by the way, for the introduction. And thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of y'all's. So my background, I... um, I'll try and keep it brief, and then you can dig in if I miss anything. But uh, so essentially, I, I graduated with a, a, a degree in HR. Um, I, I was kind of one of those classic, like undecided students for a lot of my college career. Um, I had never identified a particular industry or like product or service that interested me. But what I did know was that I just liked the people aspect of things, mm-hmm. and like the like how talent played into the business. And so you know, human resources seemed like natural fit. And so I graduated with a degree in HR. I was really, really fortunate to end up in uh, with my first job in the recruiting department at a video game company in Cary, North Carolina called Epic Games. I spent uh, four years there in the recruiting or recruiting adjacent departments and um, until moving to another video game company called Scopely. Uh, they focus specifically on um, mobile games, like games for your phone. And so that, and that's where I've been for about the past year uh, until just now. I'm actually in transition right now, um, but that's what I've been doing up until very recently, like three weeks ago. Awesome. Awesome. Super exciting. How did you get into the gaming industry? Like, where did you like, were you always like as a kid, were you super interested in it? Um, how did you end up there? So um, the I got into the gaming industry by accident, to be honest, because like I said, I had never identified a particular industry I was interested in. So I, I just... I kind of did the classic situation of when you graduate and nobody will hire you because you don't have any experience. So I mass applied everywhere and it just so happened to work out that like the first place, you know, that, that it worked out was, was Epic. So it was an accident that I went into the video game industry, but to answer your question about if I liked games growing up, I I never thought of myself as someone who liked games growing up. But like once I entered the gaming industry, I kind of thought back about it. And like, I did love playing with like my little Game Boy Advance when I was a kid, or I was a huge Frogger fan. I don't know if you guys ever played Frogger, but that game is I, I would spend hours on a computer playing Frogger. So, like, there are, like, bits and pieces of my childhood that I look back on, and I really did like games. Um, actually, more so than video games, I was always a really big board game fan. And to this day, I love board games. I do, too. Yeah. I actually love board games more than video games, honestly. But I just, I like games in general. Right. You know what's the funny thing? I think sometimes we think that the gaming industry is so geared towards boys. I have yeah. mom of two boys, and it seemed like that was the, the focus. Absolutely. Boys. So in terms of recruiting, did you notice that you had to really look at your recruiting and really try to be more diverse and trying to get some female applicants? And how did you do that, if you did? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's 100% male-dominated, like, for, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but there, you know, there's a growing number of the initiatives and programs like women in tech and things mm-hmm. like that that are uh, helping on the diversity front. So... Uh, to, to answer your question, yes, diversity was a, a huge focus. Um, not to mention, uh, my career has been over the last five years or so. So that's also correlates with the time when diversity and inclusion has been like, a, you know, a trending topic. So that my perspective may be a little skewed because of the timeline. But right. um, but yeah, there we've 
we've I, I've I've experienced several different perspectives around how we should approach diversity in recruiting, especially in a male dominated environment. Um, and I, it's really tricky, honestly, it is because it's like one of the things, one of the things I experienced just like being in close proximity to recruiting is you, you, you have to balance the results with the compassion, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. you, you need to make the hire. You're, you're held to certain quotas, not really quotas, but standards and, and amount and positions you need to fill. Right. If you have an opening, you yeah. have to fill it. If you have an right. opening, you have yeah, to fill right. it. And if there's not a woman out there who's like who who meets the qualifications, then you you kind of have to balance that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it is really tricky, but you know, I've heard a lot of different perspectives on it. Um, I've also heard it. I've also seen it cause trouble too. Like um, that's interesting. It, 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 it's and I think that probably the entire recruiting community is feeling this right now with the diversity initiative like heading up. But it so so many people have so many different perspectives on it too. So even like I've seen someone you know go out of their way to hire a, a, a candidate that didn't quite meet the qualifications, but was a woman because they said, you know, we need a woman on the team. Like we want to di- mm-hmm. do diverse, like we want to like make our team more diverse. So like, let's do what we can. And you know, that ruffles some feathers sometimes. Because- well, and sometimes I think when you, when you're looking at diversity, it needs to make sense for your organization, but it seems to yes. me like that's a huge segment maybe for the marketing um, of these games to women players, right. you know? Yeah. So it seems like if you had a woman's perspective, maybe that would translate into more yeah. women playing and more That's games good... that were attractive to, like, the women's mind and how we we like to play games. That's such a good point. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't even really thought about that before, but, like, probably depending on the game you're working on mm-hmm. affects, like, the type or, di- like, the diversity of the talent you're trying to hire. Because I probably wouldn't want to do the shooting games. No. But I love the games that are, like, all these different... That's how like I relationships. Feel. You know, you like get your horse. I don't. What's that called? Is it called? Yeah. What is it? I'm curious. Red, oh, red, red uh, Dead redemption. Red Dead redemption. Yeah, yeah. Yes. that's the only one that I know. But I'm like, oh, I love the story. You know? Oh, so, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's awesome. Um, that that that's a first. I feel like I, I I've I've met a lot of men fan of fans of Red Dead Redemption, but I think you're the first woman fan of probably because I'm such a good mom and I would <laughs> sit there <laughs> watching my child play this all the time. So. Totally. Yeah. But yeah. So I know that one. So. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just really curious, too, on, you know, with all these younger um, younger generations and gaming, it's accessible, you know, on you see live streams on YouTube. So yeah. do you have to recruit any, like, younger? Is that a thing, like the younger generation? Um, are they a part in the gaming design world, right? Because that's essentially who a lot of these games are selling to are these kids, right? So do they bring um, or are there any opportunities to bring some of those younger um, gener- the younger generation on board? That's a great question. Um, so uh, I I never had to recruit anyone younger. And also just the, the companies I've worked at, we've had a pretty strict, like you have to be 18 years right. older, or older to work here type of thing. Although I, I will say I did hear of one scenario where we, we worked it out where we like partnered with, like I think it was like a 16-year-old. So he wasn't quite old enough to work for us, but we like par- we made a deal with him just because he was so good that we wanted his input and we like wanted his you know, perspective on, on the game design and feedback. And, and, you know, it is interesting because it's like, that's not typical for business. You know, it's not typical to look to a 16 year old for like advice on what you should do or or partnership or whatever. Um, But yeah. But you probably got some really interesting perspective though, from a 16 year old, probably an active user of what you're trying to sell. So probably so I wasn't a part of it. Like I said, I just heard about this. So I don't know what the outcome of it actually was, but I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. I think another thing, um, in gaming, the gaming world or in tech, um, 
STEM jobs, it does seem that the workday never ends. You Mm -hmm. know, it seems like if you're working in a bank, it's definitely like we start here and we end here and we wrap up and we are in our car on the way home. But it does seem like in the STEM world, particularly probably in some gaming, networking or engineering, that there would be this long hours. How did you combat that if there were long hours? So the yeah the the gaming industry in particular and which is really the only thing i can speak to because it's what i've spent my whole career in is extremely prone to they call it crunch um because the the nature of games is that they they release there there's new releases you know on a you know quarterly schedule whatever it is mm-hmm. um it's all different but you know you're shipping a product so um the cycle kind of goes it you're on a pretty normal schedule at the early stages, like product development, product conception, stuff like that. But then once you get down to like, okay, we, we're shipped like closer to the shipping date. That's what they call when they release the game live to, you know, the, the world. Um, then, you know, crunch time gets bad and everybody's working, you know, 16 hour days. Um, I, I was, I was fortunate. I, I certain there were certainly long hours, but as someone working in the recruiting and HR department, it, I wasn't quite as affected as you know the actual developers, like the program. Like right. The no, I was people. wondering if there was anything that you did when you were recruiting. It's like, hey, just so you oh. know, you're expected to work, you know, a 16 hour day when we get to this very end stage. And did you have any like resistance to that when you were recruiting? Oh, oh, that's a good question. So, um, I. I actually didn't. We were we were encouraged. Like, uh, we had a leader, and I'm I'm trying to think because I've had two different video game companies, so I won't I'll speak. It's hard to speak for both of them simultaneously. But in m- most of my experience, yeah, like, in general, yeah, yeah, just general, yeah. And I think in most of my experience, we were actually encouraged to like, to, like, make, let people know that we didn't expect that of them, mm-hmm. um, because it, you know, in theory, we don't want to like the and. I've actually been really, really fortunate to work for leaders that like I really respect, and I think they really do want to create a positive working environment. So they don't like want that for people. Um, so I actually don't think our crunch hours were quite as bad as maybe some other video game companies. Maybe they were. I'm not sure. Um, but so I, I actually never, ha- I, I didn't experience that much of having to voice that to people. Um, it, it it comes up with candidates for sure because they they've worked in games, they know what it's like. Um, but you know when you're when you're on the recruiting side, it's tricky because it's like you. I have my experience to go off of, and like I'm I'm not pressured to work crunch hours, but mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like to work on the developing team. So I kind of defer to the hiring manager on those things. Right. Like for for any questions about like more specific questions about what it's like to work within that specific team, I can only I can only speak so much on that. So I kind of defer to the hiring manager to be like, look, like they'll have the information for you on what like what it's actually like like in the weeds here. Yeah, there's some clients that we have that have definite crunch times, I guess. And it's interesting to see how they navigate that because they there is an expectation because the business is relying on the fact that they're going to be getting this thing out the door, right? Yeah. So they have to get it done, but on the same time, they want to be respectful of people's time. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting balance because um, it seems that the people, not to generalize, but it does seem like the people that had difficulty with like just putting in the extra hours, putting in the 16 hour day tended to be like the newer hires. Mm-hmm. And so that me- made me think perhaps it's not being discussed during the, the recruiting process. 
Right. And I definitely think it's important to, you know, lay that down, down on the table um, in those first initial conversations. And I, like you said, like once you're kind of in the game or like these professional gamers or I'm thinking also like tax accountants. Right. They know that they're, the, at, yeah. you know, the, the first quarter <laughs> is going to be super busy and then they might yeah. have some flex hours here over the summer, you know, get your work done. Um, so it's, it's probably similar to that. If your industry, you kind of get it, which is helpful for the candidate. But uh, you definitely need a voice. You that need have to, that. Yeah. Explain that. Yeah. Prior. Because yeah. then people come up with this wide-eyed shock. Well, I'm going to Hawaii in April. And you're like, uh, you're a CPA. You can't. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually a great example. Uh, because, like, that, there, there's that hard deadline where, like, you know, you know it's going to be busy up until then, leading up until then. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your experience in the years, you know, the technology, gaming, all, there's so many different advancements. What have you seen in talent or even just in the gaming industry, the advancements over the last few years? You mean like technological advances? Yes, that. Um, so the number one that thing that comes to my mind, and maybe this is just from my experience working at Epic because Epic really focused in on this, is the the uptrending hype around the metaverse. Mm-hmm. Like that's like the huge, that's the huge focus is like, you know, how, what is the metaverse going to look like and how are we going to be a part of it with our product? Right. And so that's the number one thing. Um, obviously VR is like, it's, it's tricky to, I, I still struggle to understand exactly where VR fits into the marketplace, you know, cause it's, um, you know, it's a recent, uh, relatively new techno- technological advance, but I don't think it's found a place in people's everyday lives. Like right. there technological advances like the internet and your smartphone, like those have found a place in, every, in people's everyday life. VR, you can't really say the same, even video, video games themselves, you know, mm-hmm. people like play those every day. VR, I think like i see that one kind of settling into its own niche space within tech like it's not I I think it was one of those tech fads that like blew up and everybody was talking about it but then it kind of everyone wanted to try it everyone was like I want to try that thing on and it's really cool yeah like it's a it's a unique experience but it's it doesn't have a lot of practical use in everyday life so I actually see VR trending more um into like the learning and development space a lot, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. And I actually would love to learn more about that because I don't I don't know a lot about it, but that's where I see it the most is like, um, or onboarding, like um, especially in the remote environment that we're in now, I, I've started to see companies utilize VR for their onboarding, like so that you can that's feel really like cool. you're, mm-hmm. feel like you're in an immersive onboarding experience, like you're, you know, hand, or next to your seat by seat with your per, co, like people that are onboarding with you, you know, right. your coworkers. And I think it's, I think VR is probably going to settle in that area. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I see VR going like, uh, like having a use in everyday life. I, I could be totally wrong, and I, I have no like expertise on that. On um, like trend or predicting tech trends. Right. Um, <laughs> that would be a lot to ask. Like, come and tell us all the tech trends. Yeah. yeah. No, we're not asking that for but sure. But that's just where I've seen it settle. Right. Is like. Um, Especially, I think learning and development, honestly, especially in relation to HR, I could see HRs, HR departments using, you like heavily utilizing um, VR for learning and development because that's such a huge conversation right now in, in HR. Well, that's how, I mean, so pilots, that's how they learn how to land planes using mm-hmm. video game, right? That's how they, they learn. I did not know that, but that makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. so they use that. And in fact, my, my son, who's in the Navy, he is on an aircraft carrier, but if the submarines... They use um, like a the, the game console to be able to like rise and lower the periscope, and I think that's just crazy. It's you know, amazing. Yeah. So I think gaming has definitely transcended the 
you know, workplace culture, but especially it'd be interesting to talk about how it's affecting HR and yeah. the whole, you know, all, all of our world in HR. Absolutely. And I think that you hit it right on the head with the learning and development with the VR, because I, I was reading into, you know, how things to ask you and all of that stuff. And there's a lot of training for VR and like training new managers, put them in a situation and learn, mm -hmm. oh, you know, maybe do this or that. This is wrong. This is right. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you that there's a ton of, you know, opportunity there. There's also, I was reading as well, because this is just not my my specialty for sure, but I know that there are more and more companies that are using it as in the application process. So oh, they're really, they're trying, and it's not maybe necessarily VR, but it's more, you know, putting together kind of a video game network type of program to kind of see if people can kind of do the tasks that are they're asked to do, you know, because sometimes you see a resume and you're like, well, sure, I think you know how to do it, but right. if you actually physically right. have to do it. And I was reading something about Domino's Pizza, and they had these people trying to, like, create these ex extraordinary pizzas, and they actually made some hiring decisions based on how they how they did in that game. It was a predictive factor for wow. how they would do it at the job. So That's actually really cool. Yeah. I like that a lot. It would be smart to get in on that. Yeah. We've got to figure out some games. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like how that you can showcase your creativity, too. It's not just like, oh, I, yes, I can do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm following the directions because I think that's big on gaming, too. It's like, oh, you have to do this. This is the goal. But to showcase some creativity is really cool, too. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also interesting like to actually observe the the decision making patterns of someone rather than just having them tell you because you, obviously everybody's putting their best face on for mm -hmm. an interview they're going to tell you oh here's like here's what I would do in this situation or here's how I make this decision but like right. I, I think the VR aspect is interesting because you you actually get to see what they would do in mm -hmm. that situation which I guess is kind of the idea behind like the ninety day probationary periods and stuff like that but well it is interesting I think you're, you hit the nail on the head I think that with the internet I mean you can find out anything so your resume looks like this person is perfect, you know, yeah. but without actually trying them out, yeah, you know, and sometimes maybe making the commitment to hire somebody and then doing that 90 days as opposed to doing it on the front end. That mm. might be a really, that might be the new trend for HR. I love yeah, that. Love that. We got to get yeah. into that. Yeah. I think it would be, it would be interesting to see how that affected like time to fill metrics because that's huge in recruiting because it, I, I imagine that's a longer process than just interviewing some maybe not honestly right. I don't know um do this game and get back to us you know right yeah and then and then like an the actual recruiter or hiring manager whoever it is a, a person having to actually review all of those all of those you know things like that is that, that would take your time it's like mm -hmm. is that more time consuming or less time consuming than interviewing like I don't know and 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 if it is do the benefits outweigh the the or the, the pros outweigh the cons? You know, mm -hmm. sometimes so. on Indeed when I'm hiring, I'll ask people to submit those tests, mm -hmm. and it's shocking to me how few people. I would say maybe I'm going to take a stab at this, but I would say like 40% complete those tests, the other 60% don't. Have you guys noticed that they don't? Oh my gosh, yes. yes. They, and, and you're like, but this is the requisite. You know, you have to do this for us to consider you right, as a candidate. Right. So. so if you're a candidate out there listening, <laughs> please, if you have, a, if a recruiter, a hiring manager, a manager has that on Indeed, LinkedIn, whatever, you know, whatever um, platform that we're recruiting for, please fill out that assessment. That's just some HR advice right there. sticks you in the no pile right away. Right. And you might be this excellent candidate that you think, oh, well, this is not required or a requisite. And it really is. Right, you know? right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's a constant conversation. I, I, the recruiting community, I feel like it's always having as well is like what what is the right number or the right number of like barriers to entry? Because there's I, I think there's always a constant like pull and push of we want 
we want the full talent pool. Like we want to know mm -hmm. everyone that's out there and we want to make it easy to apply. And also we only want people who really, really want that, like who care enough to do the assessment, who care enough to, you know, take their time out of their day or whatever. So it's, it's, it's kind of like tricky, especially with technical roles. Cause you, there is an aspect of it where you have to know that they can do the technical part, right. you know, like that's, that's a non-negotiable negotiable because it's part of the job. Right. Um, so that's, that's like one of the, that's one of the conversations I, I've heard a lot of varying opinions on to working in recruiting is like what what's the right level of of barrier to entry to to have but i think it varies depending on the market like you know in the last five years we've been in a the majority of my career has been in a like economic up up cycle mm -hmm. so it's you know it's it kind of like the the power dynamic shifted to the labor market rather than the employer so in that kind of market you you may want to just like uh, destroy the barriers to entry and like get everyone you can because you're having a hard time finding candidates but in a mm -hmm. in an economic downturn you may want to put up more barriers to entry because it's like you know the you're probably going to get a lot of less you're, you you need to filter out more right um because you're just the, the power dynamic shifts and sometimes i think that determinant is not so much i, I think the determinant is on how much time the staff has to train up yeah you mm -hmm. know so they it, there's a, there it, it fluctuates. Sometimes you'll want to take somebody, and you have a lot of time or a lot of resources to train up. Yeah. And so then you might take someone with with less experience, mm -hmm. right? Because that might be a really good, you know, advantage to to your company because maybe yeah. other people aren't looking at them and they have these great skills. But then the other time is if your resources are really depleted. Yes. And you don't have time to train, you're gonna want to take someone with a higher caliber. Right? A thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I really think a lot of recruiting is about timing, mm -hmm. like because of situations <laughs> like that, you know, yeah. like if you you could apply for the same position in the same company uh, like a year ago and maybe they had the bandwidth and the resources to take on take a chance on someone like, you know, hire someone who maybe right. they would have to invest a lot more time into. But, you know, a year from now that they, maybe they're too busy and they can't do that. So that's true. I mean, I, I've, I've seen a lot like that. That's for sure. Absolutely. Can we do a hot take? One real quick. <laughs> so um, job applications and as recruiters, you know, HR, we're reviewing. Um, what do you guys think of, you know, having people submit the job application and the resume? You know, we're putting in the same information, um, all of that. What are your opinions on that process? And if you have any advice for other recruiters or hiring managers or people that are just, you know, business owners doing the recruiting themselves? It's a really tricky one because like my my gut instinct is I absolutely hate it when companies make you fill in all the same information that is on your resume. It's like tedious. It probably it it probably creates a higher candidate drop off rate, you know, people who start to apply but then don't finish because they just don't want to go through seven pages of applications. Mm -hmm. But I it, at the same time I understand why they do it because they want the data, you know, and you can't we I don't believe we've figured out a great way to pull that data directly from the resume and keep it clean. And so, like, I, I understand that the organizations they wanna they wanna understand the talent pool they have. They wanna like have clean as clean data as possible. And I get I, I think it's just about balancing priorities. Like, what's more important to you? Like having having a wider candidate pool where you may get more candidates who aren't well. You know, you may get the more candidates because you're not putting them through those barriers to entry or having the data. And it's like, whatever's more important to your business at that time, I think makes the most sense for you. I like that. Yeah. 
I am such, I cannot stand it. I cannot stand, <laughs> it's one of my biggest pet peeves and I work with smaller companies. So yeah. I tend not to work, you know, for a big like Corning or GE that they might have to do that. Yeah. But for smaller businesses, I think that when you ask them to submit their resume and essentially take literally line by line off the resume into their system, mm-hmm. I just think it kind of is, um, it's disrespectful of people's time. Mm-hmm. Tedious. I, I, exactly. And you're going to be getting the same information. And if you're basing your decision only on the resume and not maybe a phone screen, I think you're really missing missing the boat. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You know? So. Yeah. Well, and with smaller businesses, I think that makes total, it makes total sense mm-hmm. because you're, you're probably, if you're a smaller business, you're probably not at the point where you need to manage the data, micromanage the data so exactly. closely, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important that as a recruiting team, HR team, you got to keep in mind you want to put the candidate first and, and really have, like, make that experience the best because ultimately that's the foundation of a great employee experience, you know? So really trying to figure out your process when it comes to hiring, uh, make it as quick and as efficient but really getting to know that candidate, too, because ultimately you you wanted to make it a great fit on both parties. So I think keeping in mind that put the candidate first in their experience, because if they do join your team, you give them th- that offer. You want to make sure that they ride that same great experience through and like through their time as an employee. Exactly. So, um, did you do because you were on, in a different field that I'm not familiar with, but did you find that you were getting a lot of recent grads? Or did you really look for people with like this load, multiple years of experience? Um, so I think it, it depends on what position like I, I was working on at the time. But um, the, the majority of my background was also, it was kind of, it was a lot in recruiting operations. So there was really a short period of time where I was doing full cycle recruiting. Um, so, and I, the only reason I say that is just to preface my answer by saying I, um, you know, th- there's a limited scope of, of positions that I, I worked on that. So I think we, we got, to be honest, I think we just got a lot of everything because I was, I was at Epic Games at a time when Fortnite had like just blown up and it was a really, oh so it was God. kind yeah, of like, Fortnite. even I know that one. <laughs> it was like a, it was a huge, so you, like when that happens, you kind of just get an influx of applications like just high high volume unsolicited i'm sure too mm-hmm. right? oh yeah They're like we want to be with y'all exactly you know? yeah so i think we just i i, I just remember seeing the, the full spectrum honestly um we we had just started an internship program when i was there so we we certainly had a lot of new grad applications from that um but it, i i my main memory is just getting an influx of like everything across the board that's cool i think that a lot a lot of colleges and universities are um, adding an esports. I know UNCW here in town, they added a, a club um, a few years back. So I think more colleges are opening their eyes like, oh, this is an opportunity. There's students that are really, really great at this um, and they need the practice, you know, get some stuff early on their resume to have that club and resource um, there available. And I think that's really great, um, especially at UNCW. We, I worked with them at my previous role. Um, we did a couple of different uh, trainings and stuff and really a great group. And I think that that's super helpful for recruiters in that space to be, yeah. oh, team up with the university and have a talent pool right there, you know? Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. I didn't know UNCW had added that. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's like a proven, proven right? So yep. it's not just on the resume. It's like 
you can prove to the examples that they've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I think also I read um, an article. Uh, Doctor Pastor is the the club owner. I think that he probably has a more official name over there. Um, but he is working with them and their fitness because um, it's proven to be if they are you know um, healthy and they have. High, eye to hand coordination Mm -hmm. um they're going to be quicker when they play the games and it goes hand in hand so i think that is super interesting and i think that falls into hr because in our workplace we want our people to be healthy right because we want them to show up to work so i think it's super interesting that the gaming world is tapping into the fitness and like health and wellness and kind of merging the two you know and that's a really great thing to have especially for small businesses that might not have the salaries to attract people Mm -hmm. you can attract so many um, great candidates, I think, with your benefit pool. Absolutely. And that we were, I was seeing an uptick where I, I saw some people that were, you know, giving the Calm app as mm-hmm. a subscription. That was something. But now we've had, we have some companies that are like, our people sit all day. We need to, like, have them be reminded to get up and, like, go rock, walk outside and get fresh air. And so they have these dings. And it's funny if, if I'm working on a particular ding, day ding, and ding. I'm like, must be time to get to take a walk. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I uh, I, I had noticed that too in the gaming industry that health is be- and fitness is becoming like a, a, it's on the uprise mm-hmm. because like the nature of gaming is you sit like right. you just sit and it's interesting that I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you know corporations are starting to think about that too because I, I you know I feel like it's probably a a result of you know for the last like People, you know, if you think of all of human history, people didn't start sitting at a desk all day until maybe like 50, 60 years ago or something. And like, I I feel like, you know, we've gone through a whole generation of people who've done that and we're starting to realize, okay, maybe we should, you know, think, maybe we should incorporate some sort of physical activity. Walking meetings, love those. Yeah, I love walking walking meetings. We used to do, um, I had one hiring manager who loved to do meetings over a game of ping pong and I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah, I couldn't concentrate. I would be like, what do I want? The meeting or the ping pong? Ping pong. I love yeah, ping pong. Yeah, it's, uh, it's probably tricky. It's probably not for, for everyone. And I was terrible at ping pong, too. So, you know. Well, it's... and especially, like, there's such a stereotype. You know, maybe I have got the wrong stereotype in mind. But of these, you know, guys and they're working on this stuff. And it's, like, late hours. And they haven't gotten up. And they're ordering food in. And so I'm sure that, yeah. as, um, you know, the owner of the business, you would really want to ensure the health and, you know, safety mm-hmm. of your employees, for sure. Yeah. Get them up. See some sunshine. <laughs> get, a, get a salad. Yeah, exactly. Go on a walk. Right. Uh, and it, it's interesting because actually one of the big trends in the gaming industry is to, like, provide a lot of free food and snacks. And it's typically not very healthy snacks, like chips and gummies right. and stuff. So um, I'll be curious to see if they kind of evolve towards, like, offering more health healthy options and stuff like that. Absolutely. And while we're on the topic of benefits, I want to touch on gamification and how to incorporate that into the workplace. And I've seen it with benefits, um, different companies, you know, you get these Bravo points or whatever these points, and it's, it's this whole gaming experience. And it's like, oh, I'm doing a good job. Here's 1500 points that you can then go have the choice to go spend it on whatever you want, a leaf blower or a trip to the Bahamas, you know, that's super cool. So I'd love to hear um, all about gamification in your world. And if you guys, if you, during your experience, how did you incorporate that with gamers, you know? Yes. Okay. So, and I'd actually, uh, maybe after the podcast or something, love to hear more about the, the, the cases you've seen of that, because I'm always really interested in companies that are incorporating gamification. Um, so I honestly, I feel like the succinct answer to your question is I was 
really shocked while working in the gaming industry how little gamification there was in the work environment, like in the actual operations of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, we, in theory, you know, gamers, they're, they're experts on gamification. They, they make games, they design games. And, but I did not see a lot of that, it, like incorporated into the actual biz- the operations of the business. Yeah. Um, but that's, but working the exposure to the gaming industry is actually what got me so interested in gamification in the, in the, in the industry. Cause I'm, th- I'm sitting here thinking, wait, 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 we're a video game company and we're not even doing this. Like we're, we're the experts on how to engage people. And, and, and that's what video games do. You know, they're, they're the masters of creating engaging experiences that people, you know, they can't quit. They never want to leave. And so um, I actually, to be perfectly honest, I didn't see a lot of that. I didn't see a lot of it. And I I would love to start seeing corporations do more of it. And I think they are. I think it's a growing trend. Um, But I think it's at the early stages of the trend. So I'm I'm curious to see how it goes. Um, Do you think that you can expand on what that could look like for businesses if they've never even heard the term gamification and how to incorporate that into their workplace for their employees? Could you expand on like a possible situation in your in your head? And now, you, you know, your wheels are turning. What in a perfect world would that look like? Yeah. So um, and I'm I'll, I'll preface my answer by saying that all of all of my knowledge comes purely from like exposure, like random mm-hmm. things I hear here and there, and just my own independent study. So I'm certainly not an expert on the mat on the matter. But what I what I see, like when you're designing a video game, there's uh, a handful of like key components that mostly all video games like universally use uh, because they've been proven to engage people and like you know keep people motivated mm-hmm. to keep going. Um, and uh, it, they they use them in different ways. Maybe they use them. And they're, you know, they kind of use it as an a la carte menu. Some use some, some don't. But essentially, there's like a basically you could consider it a menu of things that you do to keep people engaged. Mm-hmm. So one of the some of the main ones I think of are um, number one is uh, the the onboarding experience. So like the storytelling, like connecting the the player to the game through a story, like like really painting the picture for them. Like, why are they playing this game? What happened? You know, mm-hmm. like Legend of Zelda, you know, Link, the princess has been captured and you're you're the hero trying to to save the princess, whatever, Mario. You know, that, mm-hmm. that that story could probably be used for several video games. But, you know, like you're they make you the hero and then they tell you the story of why you're trying to do what you're trying to do. So they really mm-hmm. connect you to the mission of the game. Like, what is your mission? What are you here to do? And like, what is your objective? So that's number one. Like, they're, they use, they're amazing at using really good stories. Mm-hmm. Um to like connect the player to why they're doing. So I like one of the things I've noticed in companies is they they don't always lean on that storytelling or like connecting of the or connecting the the employee to the mission of the company and telling the story of like, you know, here's what our company does. Here's like how our different revenue streams are. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's our mission as a company and and like really telling the story. Um I they did that really effectively when I worked at Epic Games and it made a huge difference for me because mm-hmm. and because because Epic Games was a classic um, you know a kid started a business from his dad's basement and it grew and you know it's the American dream story and yeah. like that that's a really cool thing to be a part of you know so I think storytelling is a huge one onboarding like st- using storytelling in your onboarding is a huge one like connecting the employee to what they're there for um, beyond themselves you know like mm-hmm. they have a job like maybe they're an accountant or whatever but. It's more than just about what their individual job is about what they're contributing to in the bigger picture, like connecting them to that story. So storytelling is one. Another one is um, like metrics and progress bars. Like when you're in a video game, you can 
always tell how much like how much longer you have to go to complete your goal like there's always a progress bar there's always um like indications of how far you've come and how far you have to go and there's uh key objectives and milestones so you're you're you never have a question in your head of like, where is this going? Why mm -hmm. am I doing this? You, you you know why you're doing it. Like also, there's must be a motivation factor too because you're like, oh, I've got two more to get yes, to the right. end, Huge and then I'll get this factor. big thing. Yeah, you know, and then I'll get to the next level. So I'm sure that you could do that for sure in performance management. I could really see the, you know, that being a wonderful place for that. A thousand percent. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm actually glad you mentioned motivations as well because another thing, video game companies do really well is they they do a deep study and analysis of the motivations of their players. Like, why is the player playing this game? Like, mm -hmm. what are they motivated by and what brings them to this game? Because you can have a game, like you can have two different people playing the same game and they're playing for completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and they study that. They say like, you know, what is motivating people to come to this game? Are they, is it the social aspect? Is it because they can play with their friends and they're not really, they don't really care about actually winning? Is it the competitive aspect? Do they just like to compete? Is it like the... Is it the story? Like, is it the lore? What is it? And and then they can they use that data to like figure out like what how they market to different players. And I you know I, I don't think there's a a one to one way you can transfer that into the workforce. But I do think that like in HR we could probably do a better job of of uh, incorporating people's people's motivations into like our hiring decisions, our performance management decisions. You know. Um, because I think we we tend to we tend to do very experience and skills based hiring, but there's also a huge motivation component that comes into hiring. Well, and then the whole retention piece is retention. all based on yeah. I mean, if you've gone through all that time to get your people at these gaming places, I mean, you really want to keep them. Yeah, because otherwise, someone else will scoop them. But I do notice that if you if anyone listening, I think that if you're a small business or mid sized business, or if you didn't even know about this, one of the biggest things that you can do to kind of help your retention is to each person is motivated differently. Yeah, how you were saying how to play the game, mm -hmm. but everyone comes to work with a different motivation. I, I need to make money for my family. I really mm -hmm. love the prestige of working here at this particular place, or I love yes. independence or creativity. I mean, there's a whole host of things. And if you can identify what motivates each person and then really act towards making sure that you're touching those things all the time, they're going to stay. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. And you always think, oh, it's, it's, motivation is always money. And it's not always money. It's not always money. No. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's not money, honestly. It's funny. It's not, that's not, I mean, I want money. Don't get me wrong. But of my course. motivation is like flexibility. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? It's like I really want to have a flexible schedule. And so that's why I like working with us. You mm -hmm. know? So it's an, it's an interesting thing. But if you can capture that maybe with gaming, that's, yeah. a, that's huge. huge. I would love that. Mm -hmm. We need to get smarter and figure out how to yeah. make these things. Because, I mean, those are just wonderful opportunities, I think. Well, now we know Haley, so we got to put our heads together. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's create some stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. I could work on it all day. But I think you're exactly right. And I think the, like, the motivation piece, I think, gets really tricky with performance management because I, one of the things I see is, like, um, a lot of times someone will assume the people they're managing are motivated by the same things they are. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, and they'll, they'll try and mentor them in a way where it's like, you know, like if I'm as a manager care about, you know, career progression and just climbing the ladder and, and you know, like you know, commercial success, right. Then like, maybe I manage my direct reports that way. Okay. Like, you know, and I'll say, if you want to, if you want to get to the next level, you need to do this. If you want to. And meanwhile, the director report is thinking, I don't care about getting to the next level. Like, you know, I'm just here to like, 
have a have a job and feed my family like I my business job is not my whole life but right. like and so I think there's a lot of just miscommunication around that but it's not like talked about in a formal setting that much so people don't always know how to address it effectively mm-hmm. you know absolutely and I think that honestly that's a mic drop and I think that one piece of advice I think that's the greatest thing to take away is to have those conversations with your employees on a regular basis yeah check in see what motivates them there when you first hire them and keep checking in because I think you're right that you have to be on the same page or at least understand where where, what they want so you can kind of help them you know with their career journey that's ultimately what is gonna keep them with you mm-hmm. so yeah I think absolutely that is that's it so um do you have any last pieces of advice or anything that you want to tell our audience we have HR managers employees regular managers business owners they're all Tuning in. Any last piece of advice? Um, and I think if I had to just say, if I have to narrow it down to one, I, I I would kind of piggyback off of what we just talked about. Like in in recruiting specifically, I think there's there's so much focus on skills and experience, but if you can just um, kind of like just have like a self-awareness of what it is that you actually want out of the job. Like what, what would be a mutually beneficial relate? What would make a mutually beneficial relationship to you between you and the company? Mm -hmm. And then go after a job that gives you that Mm -hmm. rather than going after a job where, you know, I, I think people get so caught up in, I just need a job. I just need a job. Like, and so they'll, I hear a lot of advice that, uh, advises job seekers to do what they, to do what they think the company wants to hear. But I think we should like take, I think we should like pivot and, and just try and advise people in a way where just, just know what you want, know what you want and then go get that. And, and some companies can offer you that and some companies can't, but it's, it's not about the company doesn't hold all the power. It's a mutual, it's a mutual Mm -hmm. beneficial beneficial relationship. Absolutely. And I think that's important for us as recruiters in HR that we just want, we want a great fit on both ends. So yeah, exactly. um, Yeah. And that's going to create a long-term employee relationship that, that, that lasts, you know, rather than just, I need to make a hire. Let's, you know, and then they're gone in a year. There we go. That kind of thing. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Haley, so much um, for coming on HR Nightmares. Thank you, guys. It was so awesome to talk to you and get to learn more about what goes into the recruiting world in um, the gaming industry. It's super interesting because I had no experience with that, and I know Beth neither. neither. So um, thank you so much. Um, To our listeners out there, if you are enjoying HR Nightmares, make sure that you hit that subscribe button um, and follow us on YouTube, we're on every platform out there, Spotify, Apple Music, um, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, all of that good stuff. Make sure you hit that bell so you know when our next episode drops. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you you. so much. Awesome. That was fun. That was good.